Hello everyone and welcome to the Biopharma Dispatch podcast. I am joined once again by Felicity McNeil, the co-founder chair of Better Access Australia. Hello Felicity. Hi Paul, I'm not sure about the inclination, the intonation in that once again, but anyway. <laughs> well, we're going to have a, a conversation today about a few things and I, it's one I'm really looking forward to because there is quite a bit to talk about. Uh, but we're going to start with Newborn screening, uh, Felicity Better Access has been talking a lot about newborn screening. It got their big commitment from Labor uh, to a national takeover from this sort of patchwork of state and territory programs. And they've issued another statement today calling for the coalition to match that commitment. Yes, Paul, um, a lovely surprise and something we're really thrilled about. Uh, many people who are listening to you would have seen the multiple uh, newspaper articles this weekend about families who successfully had newborn screening for a particular condition or those that didn't. Uh, it highlighted for us once again and reinforces why Labor is supporting the call for uh, bipartisan access to newborn screening nationally because we sit there and talk about one baby, one state, one disease, one baby, one state, one disease. I, I want to talk about all babies, all states, all diseases. We've written to every party asking for all party support, all independent support, and we look forward to the coalition announcing that they will step up and lead like Labor is leading and say enough is enough. I thought it was a nice statement from Labor because they said, coalition, you've announced these changes on genetic testing. We're going to support those. We would like you to match our commitment to newborn screening. Yes, let's stop politicising babies. 30 years of inaction, whether it was deliberate or accidental, uh, the reality is right now everyone's finally woken up and understood what it means. So please, we, we are almost begging the, the coalition to, to heed what the community is saying. Remember, 84% of respondents said national expanded newborn screening now. Well, two weeks to go until the election, so they, have, they certainly have time. Let's now get into a discussion about the range of reviews and issues associated with those reviews, starting with the health technology, the much-hyped health technology assessment review. Obviously, the government announced a proposed reference committee on the day the election was called, actually, while the Prime Minister was at Government House. The plan was for it to be chaired by Dr Peter Boxall. Now, obviously, I've been very critical. BAA has been very critical of that proposed appointment. That's not in any way to question the integrity or quality of Dr Boxall's work. He is a very highly esteemed and regarded academic and former bureaucrat. But in a way, his 30 years of policy consistency are precisely what make him unsuited to this review. Look, Paul, thank you for that opportunity. And, I, you know, I declare I, I used to work for Peter Boxall. I worked in the Department of Finance for a number of years under his leadership. That means I know that he's an extraordinary intellectual mind and economic thinker. And I also know he's always been incredibly transparent about his philosophies about public health programs. I think you've written about it several times over the past few weeks, which is very clear on where he sees the interventions for market failure. Uh, his work on the Commission of Audit to anybody that worked and served under Peter Boxall knows those recommendations made perfect sense from his economic philosophies. He is principled. Our concern at Better Access Australia, as you know, we are mind the gap where the system fails. Our principles don't align with his principles when we're talking about a public health program. Uh, the HTA review is a process inquiry, process review. 
and therefore you need someone with the principles of public health and the interdependencies in the system to lead that. No one should be concerned that he is open and transparent about what he thinks, but this HTA review is about access. It's it's not about just discount rates. It's about access. Well, it's a process, but let's let's have a conversation about this process because it beggars belief to me that anyone thinks we can have a review about economic inputs to health technology assessment uh, evaluations before we finished the National Medicines Policy Review. And that, that may require us to start that process again because the one that was launched and the way it's been conducted has been such a farce. Completely agree. Look, it was terrific to read the uh, open letter in your publication last week from Jamie McCoy. Well done, Jamie. It was great to see leadership from a medicines industry representative saying the obvious that we as patients know, which is if I'm going to decide the how, I must first understand the why. So how we can be approaching a HTA review, which is about the how, when I have no understanding of what the why, what the future of why of medicines is in Australia, that to me is an extreme concern. That is something that must be done first. I think it's a great thing that Minister Hunt uh, announced via Medicines Australia and a few other bodies that the review had been ceased. That's an admission we need to do something different. Better Access Australia is on the public record as saying that we need a new review, a new review team, truly independent, and we start from scratch, but only insofar as we start from scratch from the incredible work of 150 organisations and individuals to tell people what they already think. Yeah, it was it was a pretty shocking process, but to me it, it made sense. that the, the government wanted the NMP review over in six months because it's a high-level principle-based document. If, if they accepted stakeholder feedback to that review, that is going to lead to very significant change. It will then flow on to the program decision-making, and that's fine. But it's not, not a safe ground for a government to be who's only interested in process. The HTA review is a process. It's their strong ground. They're like the Harlem Globetrotters in this process, and everyone else is like the Washington Generals, right? And, and they're just going to run rings around everyone in this process that once you're in, you're not going to get out of. It just defies any sort of understanding of logic, policy logic and sensible sort of consideration of an issue to think that the HTA review should start before that NMP review has run its proper course and by proper course it has to start again. It does have to start again and the HTA review does have to come after and the reason everyone's going to get the rings run around them is because this HTA review has started on the same principles that led to the debacle with the NMP review which is a select group of people deciding who's on the reference committee, a select group of people having access to the terms of reference. And you can see what's going to happen is that when everything starts to go wrong, we'll get a, oh, patients, what do you think? Well, perhaps you could have asked us up front. This review, this HTA review I respect is in a strategic agreement between the government, i.e. the department, and Medicines Australia, but it's our public health system, it's our PBS. I, I care more about the access problems, and I'm happy to have discussions and support and join the conversation, but you have to let the patients in and not as an afterthought. Look how the pathways processes went. That was something that was negotiated between the department Good idea and the, at the industry time, Felicity. <laughs> for however many months, you know, 18 months, and then we got something thrown out to us at the end. And as I've said before, as part of Hepatitis Australia, it basically makes the expansion of the Hepatitis B vaccine for certain communities, it's cheaper for me to ask the company to just give it for free. Well, Medicines Australia 
finally came around, to their credit, finally came around to the idea that Dr. Boxall wasn't appropriate to lead this review. doesn't mean he won't be appointed. Certainly the industry has put a stake in its ground, and I think now it would be difficult for any newly elected government to, to appoint him. But I think the next thing they've got to work out is take a step back and work out what they're trying to do here and apply some principles. Because if you've, you've always said to me, principles are really hard to defeat yes. from a government perspective. And a process, they, that's, that's their home turf you're going to be playing. As I say, it's the Harlem Globetrotters. That's where they are very, very comfortable. And they're just going to get you in a negotiation for two years. And that's, that, that is not – to make matters worse, I suspect they'll try and make it exclusionary so it'll be covered by non-disclosure agreements. And that, that's something that industry really has to consider from the perspective of being a custodian. It has a responsibility not to permit that to happen because this idea of a group of insiders getting in a room, coming to a conclusion about certain technical requirements for HTA and then dumping it on stakeholders – is it's it's wildly inappropriate, and then then I go to the mechanics of it. So let's say this HTA review does does by some uh, feat start on one July. So it's going to be running concurrently with the unfinished NMP review. How is that going to work? There are so many problems with this. I mean, first of all, the timing is important, and I think we're already on the record. It shouldn't start. I appreciate the industry's desire to reform and uh, change the processes that they think will provide uh, access to patients. But this is something that can take time under a five-year agreement and should take time because, again, we keep saying if you don't know the why, you cannot determine the how. And right now, if you race ahead with your how, i.e. discount rates or comparator erosion, it's the same conversation you've been having for 15 years. It doesn't change the outcome. Why for me is really important. Why for me is also because what is determined in this HTA review, we have a long history of the HTA of the PBS trickling out and leaking into other parts of the health system and becoming the way they operate. What happens in this HTA review will not just be about medicines access on the PBS, it'll be about medicines access in the state and territory governments with respect to the increasing prevalence of genetic therapies or therapies that are, are delivered through the hospital system. Where are they in that? They're not, they're not represented in this HTA review. It goes into the processes that increasingly the concepts of what is put in HTA for the PBS throws through to MC. And that's why we've got this drastic problem of delayed access to devices in this country. I mean, look how long continuous glucose monitoring took to happen. And now suddenly it's there. Loved that interview online last week. It just suddenly appeared. It's still sitting in MSAC. Yet that was actually something that was caught up for years. Then you've got my passion, newborn screening. You can look on the newborn screening program and say, well, here's something that we started looking at in 2020. And now it's been sent off to MSAC. We're now in May 2022. So it's the whole principles of the system that are actually at, at risk here or at opportunity either. I don't want to make it sound like it's all bad. Imagine if you had a National Medicines Policy Review that actually agreed that 100 days to access, sorry, going to go on my election commitment, was the most important thing to achieve for access to medicines after they were registered. And that was to apply to devices and pathology. Imagine how that was changed the system. I'm not sitting there talking to you about the discount rate in a HDA review. I'm talking about how do we fundamentally change the way we review and use HTA to get to that point of early access and then the challenges of continuous evaluation. That's where the rest of the world's moving. Could we move a little faster, please? So the, 
So a lot of organisations and people, they're really keen. They, they're, they're romanced by process, not realising that if you're not clear about what purpose that process is meant to serve and it's not guided by some clear principles, then you're in terrible trouble, absolutely terrible trouble, and it's a trap that, that government set. And, you know, you've only got to read this agreement that applies to this review. This is the, 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 the review is a product of that agreement. The industry's paid $1.9 billion for the review, not the outcomes. So let's say it takes two years, during which you will not be allowed to talk about anything else. Anything else that comes up in that time, the government will just say, oh, we're dealing with that through a review. <laughs> so it traps you for two years and keeps you busy for two years and distracted. At the end of that, the government will have to make a decision about what, if any, recommendations to adopt. And that will require an entirely new process. Now, if that two-year plus one-year process is not governed by some pretty clear principles coming out of something like the National Medicines Policy Review, to me, it's all, all downside risk. To this day, I do not understand the excitement about this review. Now, maybe that's my experience in government. It has made me cynical. But I always say to people, their naivety does not make me cynical. I'm a, I'm a realist. And I've been around. And the government is... It, even the most industry-friendly reform in the history of the PBS which was the F1-F2 split in 2007, where medicines were allocated to formularies on the PBS based on patent status. It was a savings measure. Yes. It was a savings measure, and it just happened to favour some companies. Now, it's, it, was a, it was a principle-based change. We need to reward innovation and protect new medicines and patented medicines from the impact of genericisation. Yes. So that's the approach we need to take. And we need to be incredibly cautious about an HTA review where the government is obviously going to be taking their their objectives. What do they think the Peter Boxall appointment was? They've got something planned, but what is it? And how are you going to protect against it? I'm, I, the naivety is, is a huge frustration for me. And I just, I just, I just need people to, to toughen up a little bit. And we wrote that this morning, is that you've got to get some cynicism in you. I agree. And I guess, you know, Better Access also has a concern, not just about Dr. Boxall's appointment, but the whole composition. And that's a tough thing for me to say because there are people on that proposed committee who I respect immensely, mm -hmm. their capabilities and their contributions to the system. But I, I am showing my, my, my colours, is that the term we use these days, my Department of Finance colours, everything's red or black. Um, that's not the way I do a review if I really want to look at what the future of something should be. I'm concerned that everybody on that review is a stakeholder and has a vested interest. I should not be reviewing my own program, whether it's a gateway review, an assurance review, a strategic review, um, a capability review by the Public Service Commission. What's one of the first things we do? We don't let the people that are actually running the program or the area determine that. Can it is a funny thing, isn't it? Is It's like reviewing your own... Your own performance. Yeah, we should review our own podcast. What are we <laughs> you doing? Should review. I mean, I don't, don't want any feedback. I, yeah, no, I, I want feedback. There well, should be more champagne in here. But surely the government has rules around the conduct of reviews like this. This is not a this is not a insignificant review. It's an HTA review, and it relates to public health programs. Public health programs are very very important, and that's my frustration. That I think sometimes people don't take it seriously. You know, the decisions they make impact. The patient, the, the health of 26.5 million Australians, it's a serious thing. But I think part of my issue with this reference committee is it's mostly just the same people. And that's, as you say, I've got a lot of respect for those people as individuals. But are they, are they the right ones to review effectively their own program? Yeah, 
We need to challenge the, the normal way of, way of thinking. We need to allow people in. We need to allow actual, actual patients. So, for example, you know, we, we would love to see an actual cancer patient in there. We would love someone, a young person in their late 20s who manages type 1 diabetes that has lived through the experience of the devices as much as the the medicines to understand that 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 blend what it means what access means to these people we think the medical devices people should be in there as well too because again what you decide there and what technology we use should be in those places all the diagnostics we would like to see an independent person you don't have to be i'm sorry i'm going to challenge some of the comments you don't have to be an expert in hta to be on this committee and i'd actually prefer you not to be because it's actually about the broader thinking. We'd love to see someone, you know, an esteemed, again, former public servant working as the chair of that review. I think that would be fantastic. There are so many great people that have contributed to public policy in this country over the last 15, 20 years who bring a perspective of government, a perspective of the intersections with industry and the realities that mean. Well, if we're going to be talking discount rates and comparative selection, honestly, why do we even need a review? <laughs> I mean, that's that, that. They are technical inputs. I mean, I think you raise a really important question about medical devices. The blurring of the line here. You know, you've got theranostics, which is a diagnosis and treatment all in the one process. Yes. You've got digital health. Yes. How how HTA has a very poor record on digital health, but digital health could be one of the greatest health innovations in human history. So, to me, I. <laughs> this is why we've got to take a step back establish the principles, what we're trying to work out here, and not push to go into a process as as quickly as we possibly can, assuming that we're going to get these one-dimensional policy outcomes. Agreed, because it's the same criticism that we had of the NMP as it stood, which it was designed when we were a small molecule, high-volume statins user in Australia and what we needed to do. And the risk that we embark on the HDA review as it's currently done, like I said, I have no idea of what the terms of reference are of the objectives, but this really should be an opportunity. And I know it's hard for the medicines industry. Well done then for offering up $2 billion in savings to make medicines more affordable. But you're increasingly cro- encroaching on the rest of the health system in a way that you need access. And so we need to actually open this up. It's like the NMP needs to be opened up. We need to talk about therapeutics. We need to talk about clinical trials and the MRFF. We need to talk about state and territory access issues, as well as the, the linear singular issue of the PBS. For heaven's sake, I'd love to open up the fact is, do we need a separate PBAC and MSAC? Mm. Or is it the issue that it's about health technology assessment? Well, that's... And if it's about health technology assessment, we all know that the reason I'm moving one thing to another is because by law, PBAC can do one thing. Oops, can't do that. So LSDP over there. Oops, can't do that. Let's go to MSAC. Oops, screening. Sure not what happens with that. Isn't the concept of HTA... What is HTA in our health system? And isn't it every pharmaceutical company's interest to not have that one test, one drug, the delayed process, trying to find your space because of your genetic therapies? Isn't that the concept that we want to lift up and think about and get that done as fast as possible? Because if my if my NMP says 100 days to access, again, sorry, biased, but and it says this is actually the principles of access in this country, this first world country, then this is how HTA should Principles work. Principles is the only way to crack this discussion open. I was a ministerial advisor on PBS and devices and private health in the 1990s and the, the arguments on comparative selection are the same arguments being used in 2022. 
Yes. So that to me says it all. MSAC was established in the late 1990s to deal with Medicare services. It's now dealing with all the technologies that PBSC is not allowed to deal with in law based on where they're administered. And we saw that situation with the gene therapies where one went through PBAC and one went through MSAC. And that potentially leads to inequitable outcomes. It does. I mean, SMA has been a great lesson for us all in the codependence of technology and the, the challenges of those processes. And I know there's a number of pharmaceutical companies that have products in that space who've relied on diagnostics. I mean, I've talked about a cancer patient and a diabetes patient to talk about the prevalence in the system. I want to talk about the prevalence of the system for people with rare diseases and those diagnostic odysseys. What's the point of having the drugs if the system can't actually cope with that? That's the HTA. PBSC has been making comments about screening, about the efficacy of a test to actually ensure whether genetic therapy should be used or a, a combination therapy should be used. This is why HTA is much bigger than this. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. The PBAC outcome where they said, yeah, we recommend this SMA therapy pre-symptomatic, oh, but there's no screening, so what are you going to do? I mean, that, that to me is a signal of something seriously wrong. Not with the PBAC. That was a very considered and thoughtful statement they made. And I, I've paraphrased it, but the fact that the government goes doesn't go, ah, okay, well, we need to contemplate this. And, and that, that hasn't triggered that sort of consideration, that we have an institutionalised system that's basically 100 scrambled eggs. You can't unscramble 100 eggs egg scramble. But to me, the HTA review, and if you look at the agreement between the government and Medicines Australia, the wording around the review is so caveated. We're going to look at these very specific issues, which are all technical, but this stays in place, which is the primacy, the PBAC, da, 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 all of this kind of stuff. And you kind of go, well... Well, it's not really a review then. It's just a process to talk about technical inputs. And as you say, that's a trap. You know, and once you get into a process, it's about trade-offs. And so industry, what are you willing to trade off? And, and are you going to talk to patients about that? Or is this just going to be spat out at the end after two years? We'll go through this consultation process and patients will have to live with the consequences, good and bad. I don't think that's any way to make policy. So we've got to be clear with whoever is the minister after the election that you have to set the principles of what we are trying to do here. And at the moment, the NMP review has shown that decision makers in Australia are not interested in principle-level decision making. Well, groups like the industry and organisations like yours, and you do this, have a, to me, have a responsibility to say, no, you're not starting that process until you've sorted this out. And I, you know, I'm, I, it worries me. The Peter Boxall thing worries me about what, what, it, what the... As I said, I have a lot of respect for the man. He's been incredibly consistent over the years. But what did that appointment signal in terms of intent? Now, the industry finally got around to say no, but what else do they need to say no about? And, and to me, what they need to say no about is 1 July is not realistic. And as Jamie McCoy from Gilead said last week, and you said today, can we just sort the principles out first? Yes, and I guess here's, here's the challenge, is that we respectfully understand that Medicines Australia, this is their agreement. This mm. is the industry's agreement, and they actually hold all the power here. We as patients or as commentators on the system, we have no power because it's your agreement. And I guess what we're looking for is the leadership that they've shown, like they did on vaccines development, like they did on flexibility in and access to other areas, to say, you can stand up and say, please finish this first, because there is actually no real harm 
in waiting and allowing genuinely patient need, patient access to be determined and decided first because that's actually the way things should be done in government. The policy should come first. Why am I doing it? Now how do I do it? We can only hope that that happens, that the election is in less than two weeks now, so uh, that should be interesting. Obviously this discussion is going to feature prominently at the Biopharma Dispatch Conference next Monday. Everyone can use that or whatever opportunity is required to say, no, we actually need to to take a step back here and decide what we are doing because everyone getting sucked down into a vortex of a process is, as I said, I know it's a simple analogy, the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Generals never beat the Harlem Globetrotters, but government and and their officials are like the Globetrotters in that in that discussion. They'll be spitting the basketball on their finger and doing all sorts of tricks and you'll be constantly chasing your tails because it is their home turf. You've got to get the principles right and it, and it gives you, it gives you what, you, it arms you for what you need in, in a process like that. And I go back to what Andrew Wilson said. It's almost five years since he called for a review for the National Essence Policy. I was thinking about that yesterday. He said that we need that review, a high-level review of the principles because the risk is that we descend into piecemeal decision-making. Now, I would contend, and I, I challenge anyone to dispute this, that po- decision-making in 2022 is a lot more piecemeal than it was in 2017. Yeah, it's it's become a really challenging environment, a, a very challenging environment. And you know what you're talking about, Paul, is difficult, and I understand that. Process is actually easier than principles. Um, as Better Access Australia, we, we've, we're clear on what we believe in, but that doesn't always make it easy. The principles help us make some really tough decisions about what we continue to do, what we must advocate for, what we support and what we can't. Principles, though, also make it really easy to then stand up and say, this is why. And as I've said to you, you know, You've seen it a lot on newborn screening and I think on ODTP where we've it's it's not easy but it makes it easy to actually get into the debate and have the conversation and drive change. Felicity, thank you so much for taking the time again. I think we're both a bit white hot on this issues, I think. But uh, I'm really looking forward to next Monday. You are on a panel uh, going to be talking about the mechanics of government decision making and what happens when a new minister comes in which is the inevitable outcome of the federal election because Greg Hunt is retiring really looking forward to it congratulations again on Better Access Australia we really hope uh, coalition back Labor's commitment to a national takeover of of what is a pretty dreadful program currently in Australia and, and, and thank you for joining me today thanks Paul 